The following sermon is from the United Church of Tishomingo. If you would like to uh, join me this morning in where our passage of Scripture is, I made a mess up here today. I'm just going to tell you, Kevin, I'm worse than the kids. But it's not on the carpet. Um, If you'd like to join me this morning, we're going to be for our passage of Scripture in the book of Hebrews chapter 2. And um, um, if you were here, if you young people were here for the uh, for our youth day yesterday, you'll hear some things that you heard yesterday. Uh, as the Lord has put this together in me, I'm going to also. Well, if this goes out, I'll stop for a minute and I'll change the battery. I could hear it going out a little bit. You never know what, but right now it seems to be acting just fine. So we'll wait and see how this goes, but we need this to work for the sound to come over what we do uh, for those that are watching online. So today we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 9 through 18 will be our uh, foundational scripture, but uh, it will also be a little different than what I did yesterday uh, with the kids, but there'll be some things that are things that we talked about. And the title of the sermon, Jim always asks for the title. So the title of my sermon is The Unwanted Gift. The Unwanted Gift. Now, as you all are aware, and I shared last week, last week began the holiday season that we call Advent. And Advent is a word that means preparing for the coming of something. Okay? In the Christian world, the Advent was preparing for the coming of Christ. And there are actually three areas, if you remember from last week, that we as Christians or that we who hope in God are, were supposed to prepare for. Number one was His birth. The Bible promised all the way through the Old Testament and all the way through Scripture that He was coming as a Savior, that the birth of Christ was going to represent the coming of God to bring salvation to men. That was the first. Then the second advent or coming is, once He has come in His birth, and He died for our sins and rose from the dead, the coming into our heart of Christ as our Lord and Savior. And so we look to the forward to the day. Some of you are looking forward to the day that maybe a loved one still receives Christ in their heart as Lord and Savior and comes to know Him. The Advent, we wait expectantly for that to happen in someone's life. Then the third thing that we are all still waiting, especially if we are God's children, is His return. Because the Scripture has promised That He is coming again and He is going to set this world right where there will be no more sin and no more sorrow and no more death and no more wickedness and evil and all the sickness and disease and all these things that we see now that He's going to come restore the world to the place that He created it to be in the first place. So Advent is a time of expectant waiting and preparing for something good to come. And so the picture is, remember, of Advent is the picture of anticipation, waiting excitedly for something to happen. And the world is waiting like children around a Christmas tree, waiting to see what gifts that they might receive when Santa finally comes. But that is kind of the picture, you know. It's Christmas morning, and we're gathered around the tree, and we can't wait to see what did we get, you know, what's coming our way. Now, in my life, I personally have a lifelong study of commercials, 
both on TV and radio. I've just always done that. But it's from a human interest standpoint. It's from a psychological and spiritual standpoint. Because what I find in commercials, advertisement, that people are showing you, trying to get you to do something, is I find some very deep insight into the psychology of the day and the beliefs of the day and what's important, you know, and how people are trying to influence you and what do they use to influence you. You know, commercials have changed greatly from way back, you know, 50 years ago to what we see today. And, you know, nowadays it's all, you know, three-second sound bites and glitz and glamour. It tries to speed you up and get you to do stuff before you think about it. You know, and you got buyer's remorse afterwards, you know, and everything, everything tries to convince you to do all these things. But commercials give me insight into the psychology of the day. And one of my favorites now that's going on right now, and it's related totally to this message in this season that we're in, and I'll show you how that happens here in a little bit, is the insurance company, Liberty Mutual. Y'all know those commercials? It's the guy with the emu, Lemu emu. <laughs> Y'all ever seen that one? And the any of you... I've seen it. I watch it. Any of you know the catchphrase of that? Can any of you remember the catchphrase of Liberty Mutual, how they try to get you? It says, remember there's this one, it's the actor, this young actor, and he can't get his lines right. He's standing there by the ocean and he's trying to say it over and over and he can't get it, so they finally have to say it for him. And the catchphrase is this, Liberty Mutual customizes your insurance so you only pay for what you need. That's the, that's the catchphrase. of They customize your insurance so you only pay for what you need. And some of the commercials, you know, you got that actor trying to say it, he can't say it. One of my favorite ones, I don't know why y'all can laugh at me, but I laugh at this until I cry every time I see it. It's got this kid, and he's a cell phone. Y'all seen it? And he gets hit by a wave, and he's got, but my favorite one is when he's on vibrate and he forgets it. And he can't, he's trying to, take, if y'all hadn't seen that one, I'm sorry. If y'all want, but that's, hilarious he, he does a really good job of being on vibrate and it's kind of kind of fun it's kind of cute uh some other commercials the one where they're playing volleyball the guy that's selling it in the emu and he says he says now remember if we win we're going to tell everybody that liberty mutual only you customize your insurance you only pay for what you need and the other guy on the other side isn't that what you just did <laughs> has told us what you do and so they all that but my favorite one right now of all of them is it's Christmas morning and there's a family gathered around the tree and there's mom and dad and two little kids sitting there. And one kid, Joey, what'd you get? And he's got his hands around this big box. He says, look what I got. I got a, a Liberty Mutual Insurance home and auto bundle. And it bottles my, bundles my home and auto insurance together and so that I only pay for what I need. He says, yeah, good, you know. And then he looks over and says, Joey, what'd you get? And he goes, I got a bike. And he kicks it and he walks away from it. He's disappointed that he got the bicycle, you know, and it dejected and kicks it. Didn't get what he was expecting. Now, that brings us to the question today that I want to ask you. This is the season of Advent. What are you expecting? What are you waiting for? What is it that you're excited about that you think you're supposed to receive? That you think you're supposed to get? during this period of Advent. What did Jesus bring when He came? Or what did you expect Him to bring when He came? Now, yesterday, I was talking to the youth group, and just a brief recap was this. The kind of the theme of the day was, hindsight is 2020. 2020 was a bad year. You know, how do we deal with that? 
And what I taught them was, I hope that they remember some of it, was that the terms good and bad are relevant terms. It depends on what you're comparing that to. For example, I, you know, I was sitting there and I said, if you looked at me, would you say I was a big guy or a little guy? Well, if you compare me to Dustin's youngest daughter, Aisley, I'm a pretty big guy. But if I go stand up next to LeBron James, I'm kind of a little pipsqueak next to that 7-foot, 250-pound guy. So am I big or little is kind of a relevant term. If you ask, am I a good guy? I know a lot of guys I'm a whole lot better than. But then when I stand over here next to Christ, I may not be such a good guy. It's a relevant term. And when you ask, was 2020 a good year or a bad year? It kind of depends what you compare that to. I showed them some of the things I've dealt with in Africa and all my trips and what kids and people in other nations and other countries, not to shame them, not to make them feel bad, but just to show them that 2020 might not have been so bad after all. It depends on what you're comparing it to. It's a relative term. And for most people that I know around this world, they probably would give a whole lot to have what you call a bad year. Because it really wasn't that bad a year for most of us, comparatively, relatively. And so I started out by sharing with them what we call the simple gospel. Okay? Because it's related why Jesus came. What is the gospel? So many pulpits these days don't preach the gospel. You know, they got all these messages, but here's the gospel. For those of you who don't know this fully, there's one main reason you were created, and one only, and that is to glorify God. God made you in His image so that you could be His reflection on this earth and show what God is like. People are supposed to be able to look at you and see God's love and mercy and grace and giving and compassion. They're supposed to see that in you because you're a child of God. But as we all know, the Scripture teaches that at some point in our life, every one of us sins. And when we sin, that literally puts a dividing wall up between us and God. And now you can no longer reflect His glory because there's a wall between you and God called sin. And now you reflect the evil part of man, not the good part of God. But God didn't want you to stay there. So He did something about it. He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. And He came and paid the price for the sin you committed. And when He paid that price for your sin, died and rose again, He gave you an opportunity to repent of your sins, turn away from your sins, and follow Him again. And if you do that in faith, and remember, salvation is not just believing in Jesus. That's not salvation. It's believing unto obedience, unto repentance, turning away from sin, following Christ, doing what He told you to do. Then the Bible says He gives His righteousness to you and takes your sin upon Himself. And so what Christ brought in the advent of salvation was the restoration to you of the ability to glorify God again. Because He gives you His image. Now, walking in Christ, you can do what you were created to do, which is reflect the glory of God because the dividing wall of sin has been removed because Christ paid for that in His death. You all understand? So, that's the gift that Jesus Christ brought. But what did it cost Him to do that? Suffering. Suffering. And a lot of it. And undeserved. He didn't deserve it. He never did anything to deserve that. But what Christ brought was redemption through suffering. Now stay with me, okay? 
So many Christians today, when they receive Christ, are taught that what Christ wants to do is put on you riches and blessings and health and God wants to give you all these things and you're just going to live your best life now. Yes, I'm disparaging some preachers. Sorry, I can't help it because they're leading people astray. And God, I don't say that God wants you to be miserable and cry. That's not what I'm saying. But Jesus Christ, when He came, if you're expecting Him to just shower you with presents and blessings and everything good, you miss the point of why Jesus Christ came. And Christ, to many Christians, is like Liberty Mutual. He'll tailor the Christian life to fit you so that you only pay for what you need. That's what we expect. Christ is going to tailor my life like Liberty Mutual, so I only pay for what I need. I only get what I want. I only got to deal with what my, what my needs call for, right? And all of a sudden, for so many people in our world today, when the Savior comes and He bestows His true blessing, and we find out that it's not what so many people thought, I don't want that. We kick that gift and we walk away. Because that's not what I was expecting that Christ was going to bring, because that's not what I was taught that He was going to bring me. And so I want to look at in Hebrews to see just what our Lord and Savior did when He came to perfect us. Hebrews chapter 2. I'm going to read the whole thing. It's a little longer, but I'm going to ask you to go with me, beginning in verse 9. Here's what we see. We see Him, Christ, who has been made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, and by the grace of God, He might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting for Him, that's God, for whom are all things and through whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, that's us, to perfect the author of their salvation, that's Jesus, through suffering. Your Savior was perfected through suffering. For both He who sanctifies, Jesus, and those who are sanctified, us, are all from one Father. For which reason He's not ashamed to call you brethren. Saying, I will proclaim thy name to my brethren. In the midst of the congregation I will sing thy praise. And again, I will put my trust in Him. And again, behold, I and the children whom God has given me. Since then, the children share in the flesh and blood. He Himself likewise also partook of the same, became flesh and blood, so that through death He might render powerless Satan, who had the power of death, that is the devil, so that He might deliver those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. For assuredly, Jesus does not give help to angels, but He gives help to the descendants of Abraham. That's us, children of faith. Therefore, He had to be made like His brethren in all things, so that He might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of His people. For since He Himself was tempted in which He was suffered, He's now able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. Let me show you what it's saying here, and I will be brief. Okay? Watch this carefully. Go to verse... 2. Okay? Verse 2. But we see him has been made a little while lower than the angels because of suffering of death, crowned with glory. Number one. What was required for Christ to be crowned with glory? 
before he could be crowned with glory? Suffering. He had to die. He had to suffer for what this world has done. Verse 10. For it was fitting for him, God, for whom and through whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to perfect the author of their salvation through suffering. How was Jesus perfected? Through suffering. Okay? Now watch. I don't like preaching this, by the way. I hate preaching this. I don't like it at all. Because I've got to take my own medicine. I'm not just preaching this to you. I'm preaching with the understanding that one of the things Christ brings when He comes into my life is the necessity and the ability of suffering. Because that's the only way I'm going to be perfected. No one is perfected through ease and pleasure and having it their way. They're perfected when they suffer. When they go through hard times. When they have to struggle. When they have to fight. Everybody knows that. That's common sense. But all of a sudden we get in church and everybody's supposed to be going to abandon that. We just get to do all the... No, that's not how it works. But now look at verse 11. For both He, Jesus, who sanctifies, and those who are sanctified us are from one Father, for which reason He's not ashamed to call them brethren. Now what I used with the youth group yesterday was this. A lot of times what you see in school, like band or athletics, is kids have to go through a period of what they call like summer pride. Which means in the summer, they got to get up early and they got to go to the weight room at 6 in the morning. And they got to run sprints. And they got to go back in the afternoon. Or they got to go to the band. And they got to practice. And they got to march. And they got to do it. And they do it all summer long. And they get up out of bed. And they're tired. And they're worn out. And they do all that kind of stuff. And a lot of kids in school don't want to go through that and pay that price. So they just kind of miss during the summer. And then they come back when school starts and expect they're just going to be part of the team. And they just get to do like everybody else does, even though they didn't pay the price that everybody else paid. And you'll see that happen all the time with people. They don't want to pay the price, but they want to reap the rewards. And when that happens, I ask the kids, if you'll be honest, if you're a kid and that somebody does that, you resent that. You don't really want to call them a teammate. It's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> you don't have any clue the price that we paid to do what we're doing. And you're just trying to jump in here without that? Uh-uh. That's not right. And that's the picture that's being brought here. If you want to be a part of Christ's team, His church, His family, His work, there's some stuff that God's going to require you to go through. Because if He required the King of kings and the Lord of lords to go through it, and you're not willing to go through what God has called us to do because hardship is what perfects people. That's what he's saying right there. So here's my point that I want to make before I go on. One of the things, there's all kinds of things, and I talk about the whole counsel of Christ, but one of the things today that people don't like to talk about, that Advent is about, that we are awaiting is, that Christ brought when he came was suffering. That's one of the gifts he brought. And most people kick that bicycle out of the way because they don't want that. I don't want it. I'm not going to lie to you. I don't enjoy it. It's not something that's fun. I hate it. But that's one of God's gifts that He brought was suffering. Now go on down to verse 14. Since then the children all uh, share in flesh and blood, Jesus also partook of the same, so that through death He might render powerless the devil, and He might deliver us. Now look at verse uh, 17. Therefore, Jesus had to be made like his brethren in all things so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest. Let me tell you two of the main reasons God allows you to suffer. One is so you can be perfected in Christ and learn to trust him and not the world. But two is so that you can be merciful to others. 
You can't really understand what other people are going through if you had not been through it. I'm sorry. When I talk to somebody when I'm hurting and struggling, I'm going through some stuff, I'd kind of like to talk to somebody who can understand where I am and what I've been through and can give me advice from their personal experience. That's why sometimes what you all need to understand as a congregation, there are times as the pastor, I am a better counselor and to go help somebody than you are, but actually there's times you're a better counselor than I am because I don't have all the power of God. And sometimes your life and your experience and your suffering and your understanding has equipped you to go talk to somebody better than I can go talk to somebody. And I've got a person that's a friend of mine that called me recently and was going to go visit with somebody about something they were going through. And he said, John, what would you say to him? I said, what would you say? You have the experience in this area that I don't have. What's helping you? What's gotten you through this? How are you going through this? You tell him that. Not me, because I haven't experienced that. I don't know. I can tell them some stuff, and I can do some things, but I don't have the experience that you have. Church, sometimes you're a better counselor than the pastor because of your suffering and your experience and what God has done in your life. And you need to understand that, okay? So, watch this. If Jesus was going to understand me, He had to become me. And He had to walk where I've walked and go through what I've gone through. Look at me, folks. Number one, don't you dare ever, ever, ever make the mistake of sitting there in a pity party and go, nobody understands me. The heck they don't. Jesus Christ has been tempted. Hebrews 4.15 We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way we have yet without sin. And He will give you the grace that you need to find help in just the time that you need it. When you don't realize that you have a Savior that has suffered and understood everything that you've been through, you'll never find the true help that you need. Y'all listening? And I don't want to see a package of suffering under my Christmas tree this year. I've had enough in my heart. At least I think so. I don't know what God thinks. And I'm going to try not to kick it, <laughs> you know, when I see what's coming my way. But I want to ask you this today. Last week I asked you, how are you preparing your house, you know, for the coming of the Lord to offer Him a gift. Now I'm going to ask you, what are you waiting on? What are you expecting to receive? What are you looking for when Christ comes? This I know He's, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm using an analogy here. But as we celebrate the coming of Christ, what do you think He's going to bring you? What do you think you deserve? Is He going to tailor it to your needs so that you only pay for what you need? Or is He going to give you what He knows that you need so you become Christ-like? And are you willing to let Him decide that instead of you dictate to Him and saying, all right, God, I need this, 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 and this. God says, I know exactly what you need because I created you and I saved you and I love you and I'm going to bring you exactly what you need. And I'm going to appreciate it if you don't kick it off under the tree because it wasn't what you were thinking. So I'm going to ask you one more time. What are you expecting? What are you looking for? What are you wanting God to bring? And as much as I don't like this, I'm going to say, if part of that includes some suffering or hardship, are you willing to recognize that God brought that as a gift that's going to make you more like Christ and make you more useful to other people? Because that's why you're here, not to receive all this junk, but so that you can be a blessing to others and reveal 
the glory of Christ, of God, in your life by Christ working in your life. So as we prepare for Advent, as we prepare, as we work on towards Christmas, I'm just going to ask you this. Be looking for what God has, not what you think you want. It's okay to pray for what you want and need. I'm not saying don't do that, but don't just focus so hard on what you want and what you think you need that you miss whatever His gift is to you that He knows you need that's going to make you Christ-like and prepare you to be the person He created you to be. What are you looking for? Let's bow and close with prayer. Father God, I thank You that, um, man, sometimes we're stubborn and obstinate people. Sometimes we're ungrateful. Sometimes we just are impatient and we're all guilty, Father. I just thank You that you're, the Bible says that You're merciful and that You're patient and that You're slow to anger. But I'm also reminded, Father, that we're called not to test You, not to try You, not to rebel against You. So I pray today, Father, that I'll confess right now, I really need Your help, really, to be patient and long-suffering and endure under suffering, under tough times, under trial, when things are not the way that I wish that they were. I pray, Father, that You would help me and everybody out there who might be like me that we would understand that whatever it is that you bring into our lives is only for your glory and our good. And help us, Father, to be able to give joy and thanks in all things, even if things are not like we want them to be, not for the things necessarily, but for the thing that you're going to do in glorifying yourself and making us more like the image of Christ. Father, it's really tough sometimes. We talk about being in the image of Christ, but it's tough to get there. You never said it was going to be easy. I pray for the grace and the strength and the faith to do that, Father, and that you would be glorified in everything in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.